This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Nick Bosa, back. George Kittle, healthy. And you know what? I love it. Because I don't want any damn excuses from the 49ers when we beat their butts back to that Bay Area, baby. You don't want anything like Mike Tirico said last night. Any asterisks next uh, to a potential no win. No Chris Jones, no Travis Kelsey. So you got to put an asterisk uh, on this win. Are the Lions even that good? Who knows? Hell of a win for the Lions last Absolutely. night. Absolutely. We'll great win. job from well Detroit done, and Dan, Dan Campbell. Campbell. We'll get to them in a later episode when we look around the league and week one's action. But I don't want any damn excuses. You know, I want no, the right, Steelers yeah. to beat one of the better teams in the entire NFL at their full strength. Okay, now that's the hard way to go about it. The real way to go about it is I'm a little bit more nervous about this yeah. game now that those two are back. You have to be. More specifically, Bosa. We talked about the T.J. Watt effect that Bosa has for that Niners defense. They're 5-10 and 10 in 15 games right. that he hasn't played in. But that's and irrelevant. They're now. extremely over 500 in the games that he has played in. And now you see him back in the fold for that defense. It's going to be a long day for the Steelers because I, I want to start here. I think a lot of people in Steelers Nation were holding out hope that if Bosa did sign the deal at the midnight hour, like TJ Watt did, oh, maybe he won't be 100% come game time. He won't be ramped up all the way, and mm-hmm. he'll be on a pitch count. TJ Watt went on to a pitch count in Buffalo two years ago. Well, yeah, he signed on Friday exactly. before the season say. started. And he had a forced fumble, was torturing Josh Allen all game long, mm-hmm. was the best defensive player on the field. That was the beginning of his defensive player, player of, the of the year, year campaign. campaign. If you don't he think, held out until two days before that first game. If you don't have a sense of Nick Bosa being able to do that same thing, you're just talking out of both sides right. of your mouth and you're fooling yourself because Nick Bosa is one of the handful of players that you can put in a TJ Watt category mm-hmm. at that position. And he's the only player currently I'm willing to put in front of TJ Watt because he is the reigning defensive player right. of the year. He'd be one and then Watt would be my number two right now. Um, you can make the argument to me, and I'd agree with you potentially, that Watt's still better than Bosa, but I'm just saying that's the kind of player he is. Right. He's in that category. So if you're still trying to, you know, talk yourself into, well, maybe Shanahan will take it easy on him, do a rotation on that edge rushing side, uh, left side, right side, make sure Bosa doesn't get overworked, or he's not up to game speed, so, you know, he might be a step slow off the snap, and that's a big advantage for the line. I'm not expecting any of that. I am expecting Nick Bosa to play 100% of the snaps, or, you know, a normal workload for him if he gets spelled every now and again like most players do then that's fine so 85% or more Mm -hmm. of the snaps from Bosa on Sunday is what I'm expecting and I'm expecting him to be like a defensive player of the year he is someone that you have to completely key on focus on all game long can't lose track of him like I said he moves from the left and the right side so Chooks and Dan Moore both have to be on their P's and Q's whenever number 97 breaks the defensive huddle and lines up over top of them so, just go into this game on Sunday and expect 97 to be 100% of himself playing every snap that he possibly can. And on a defense that is full of players that could potentially be defensive player of the years, he's clearly the one that I think translates the most impact to them having winning football on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, for sure. This is a guy who, even though we credit the Niners defense to having such a deep uh, 
a roster on that defensive side of the football, it still starts with Nick Bosa, right? We were saying just a couple of days ago, even with potentially no Nick Bosa, that defense is scary, right? You you can take away their best player, and sure they're only five and ten, but that rest the rest of that defense, I mean, you have to you have to consider this, Tom. That record doesn't include the Niners' record with Javon Hargrave on the team. Yeah, new addition. So you don't you don't even know what that defense could have looked like without Bosa, but you add Javon Hargrave. But it's all irrelevant now because Nick Bosa is back on the field. And to to kind of uh, wrap back to the first point you made, it does give you a better sense of how well can this offense perform against the best defense, right? You were going up against a great defense, undoubtedly. But without Nick Bosa, you might say, oh, maybe Pittsburgh's is better with a fully healthy roster with T.J. Watt. Or maybe Philadelphia is better with an entire roster that's not dealing with injuries or negotiations, contract negotiations. But now that Nick Bosa is back, you can unquestionably say this is a top three defense in the National Football League. And this will be a legitimate test. It was going to be a legitimate test for the Steelers' offense, regardless if both was on the field or not. But now that we know he will be, this is the ultimate test, especially to start the season. You mentioned Javon Hargrave, and on Countdown to Kickoff on Wednesday, I, I made this comparison. Now, I don't want to say that he's the type of player that Kevin Durant is. That would make me seem that Javon Hargrave is like a top three player in the NFL. But his addition to the Niners' defense kind of reminded me of Kevin Durant being added to the Warriors. Like they're already the best defense mm. in football. Yeah, it's they're a already. Little... You know, if Hargrave never signed there, I think you'd have the same prognostications for the Niners' defense this year. They'd be the right. number one defense in football. Well, the difference is, and then that, they just you know, the rich got richer. They added another right, all-pro sure. potential player in Javon Hargrave. So. I think it would be more so like if Aaron Donald went to the Niners. There's nothing against. I'm just saying an already yeah, right. loaded sure, unit added another added great piece, a, not just a good piece, a, a great, great piece. piece. Yeah. So that's where I'm just kind of going at. Like they they were a defense that could have rested on their laurels last year and just kind of run it back, maybe fill in a couple of gaps here and there, and still been great. But instead, they go out and they make an even bigger splash. Mm-hmm. And you know that's kind of indicative to what the Niners are doing because they've been on this. Um, you know, run of quarterbacks, especially after the Jimmy G contract is now out from mm-hmm. underneath them. Brock Purdy is getting paid peanuts right now. Right. You can get a Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. and sign him. You can get a Javon Hargrave and sign him. You can make Nick Bosa the highest paid defensive player in the history of the NFL because of the wiggle room that your quarterback mm-hmm. position allows. So the Niners are dumping a ton of picks, a ton of money into the roster around the quarterback position. And the bill's going to come due eventually mm-hmm. in two ways. Either A, your quarterback is going to be really good and Purdy's going to deserve a contract right. and you're going to have to pay him. Or B, all the guys that you paid end up getting a little too long in the tooth. They're not as effective as they once were. Oh, crap, we don't have any draft picks to help restock the cupboard. Mm-hmm. So, Well, do you think they've learned their lesson too with the Trey Lance deal? Well, yeah, they already started to try to recoup yeah. some picks back, but right. not as much as they. I mean, they gave up three first round <laughs> right. picks. It's like, crazy. Just, and, and not I think only their that, first pick last year was in the third round, and I think they only right. had like three picks total. And when you think about it too, you think about how much they got screwed over by that, and then you think about how much Miami capitalized on it. Yeah, like by, the Hill. Uh, they used a pick to pick Waddle, and Bradley Chubb was a, right. another player they brought in. You cannot. You cannot use. You brought in three All Pros. Three exactly. I mean, three better players to add to your team. Yeah. So, but I mean, getting back to the Niners real quick, I. I 
I, I think the Niners are actually in a favorable position here because I can't even imagine Brock Pur- It's Brock Purdy, right? Like, we talked about this. He's not just some, like, later-round draft pick guy. Uh, he's Mr. Irrelevant, right? Uh, Dave Damashek was on DVE's morning show the other day, and he he brought up this great point. Everyone's saying, well, Brock Purdy could be, you know, the next Tom Brady. You know, you, you never know. Anyone could be the next Tom Brady. You remove Tom Brady from the equation— there's no talk about Brock Purdy being this all-time great quarterback who's being selected in the later round and being hailed as, oh my gosh, look, he's this next all-time great quarterback. No, if you remove Brady, which is a huge factor, of course, but you're going to get Brady once in a, in a generation and in a, in, in a history of 104 years of a National Football League. Those guys aren't going to be coming into the league in back-to-back years, right? Where where Tom Brady leaves the NFL, Brock Purdy comes in. So I think the Niners are actually like a reincarnation a, kind of. Yeah, thing. I think the Niners are actually in a good spot because I cannot imagine they are right now. Right, Brock Purdy being in a position to demand all of this money. I think he is totally middle of the field, if not below, slightly below average in that in that tier range, right? Like somewhere from like. 16 to 26 anywhere in there and you don't have to break the bank there and you can now that you're moving past that Trey Lance phase that Trey Lance trade phase I think the Niners can actually do some good on their team in in terms of restructuring the damage that was done in Trey Lance because they don't have to pay their quarterback hundreds of millions of dollars we'll get to Brock Purdy in a second I'll just say this a guy who's picked Mr. Irrelevant at a quarterback position, obviously there was some questions about his arm strength coming out of college. Uh, if you had a cannon, you would have been picked a little bit sooner than that, especially going to a school in, in the Big 12 like Iowa State. But he also had an elbow injury last year. So is that going to diminish the arm strength mm-hmm. even more? It's something, I think, to keep an eye out for. But as far as attacking this Niners defense, the guy we talked about at the start of this episode, Bosa, you got to know where 97 is at all times. And he's going to line up on both sides of the ball. So more Chooks, they got to be aware of where they're at. Kenny has to be aware of where Nick Bosa is. You might need to shift Darnell Washington over to the other side of the line. You might need to shift your protection around a little bit. Um, but just because he got there on Wednesday and he's only had a couple of days of practice to ramp up, don't let that fool you. Um, like I said, he's going to have that T.J. Watt effect, I imagine, uh, instantly in week one. So I think the number one key, and really we'll say this about the Niners too, as far as number 90 is concerned for their offense, but the number one key for the Steelers offense, you break that huddle, find out where number 97 is, right. and make sure you check the box of how you're going to protect against him on that play before you go and read anything else. What's great, too, though, is that, and we talked about this earlier this week, is we knew that Mike Tomlin and, and Terrell Loss, sorry, not Terrell Loss, and Matt Canada were all looking at the Niners as if Nick Bosa was going to be on the field. It's not as if yes. they were preparing Kittle, all too, week. for the offensive Right, side. right, 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 right. It, it's not as if they were preparing all week without those guys being factors, right? And now uh, the the deal got done, what, just yesterday? So it's not as if, you know, that they now have to panic and, and use these last 48 or 72 hours before kickoff to actually prepare for those guys being on the field. We knew the Steelers were going to come prepared. It's just now you have to actually say, okay, well, there's no more hypothetical now. You know, he's going to be, 97 will be there on one side. We have to figure out every time he's there what we're going to do to stop him. Yeah, that's number one for me. Now, you're not going to like this, Steelers Nation, but my number two key, Mm -hmm. avoid the middle of the field. 
I know how much we want to see more middle of the field stuff with mm-hmm. the Steelers. It was the thing that they completely ignored last year, right. even the past two years, really, with Matt Canada. And you don't win in the NFL that way. We've seen the middle of the field used incredibly well throughout the preseason. The Fryermuth touchdown pass, the George Pickens touchdown pass are the two plays that really jumped to mind for you. And when I say ignore the middle of the field, I'm not saying just don't never, ever throw it away. Right, it. right, right. But this is a game where I think you want to beat them on the outside. With Fred Warner their, being in the inside. Their corners yeah. aren't as good as right. Hafunga and the safety spot. Mm-hmm. And as Fred Warner in that middle line. Fred Warner might be a better coverage player than any of their cornerbacks. He's mm. that impressive well, as a you, linebacker. You remember the play that C. they Lamb. had in the playoffs, right? C.D. Lamb. He's up at the line of scrimmage. He chases C.D. Lamb. Okay? We're not talking <laughs> Dalton Schultz. We're not talking some fullback. We're talking one of the premier up-and-coming wide receivers in the NFL. Dallas is wide receiver number one. Right. He chases him down the middle of the field and, and creates a pass, pass breakup. Right. So, again, don't ignore it. I mean, you have to use it to some extent. Mm-hmm. But I think you can get a lot on the outside of this game. And I know people are like, oh, great, here we go again. Just run down the middle, outside George Pickens and catch a deep ball. I actually think that's a smart way to approach it in this matchup. And and you know what, Tom, too, is I, I know you brought up the, the George Pickens touchdown catch against Tampa Bay. You brought up uh, Pats against Buffalo. But you have to also remember, too, the Steelers used the sidelines in their preseason games Deontay as well. Deontay had a couple big right. sideline Pickens catches. Pickens had that had great sideline catch. The best catch, catch of the preseason was the Pickens sideline yeah. catch. The best, not, not just the, the best catch, but the best throw, I think, also. Yeah, so I think they will be balanced all year long, and you have to be inside and outside, but I just, that interior for the night, and even Dre Greenlaw, who is overshadowed by Fred Warner, is a hell of an inside linebacker and mm-hmm. is almost always on the field as well with Warner. So, obviously, you have to go in the middle of the field, and it's up for your offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, to scheme the middle of the field open from time to time, but it's just not a favorable matchup. And I'm not even speaking from the aspect of the Steelers' personnel and offense because I think they do have the players now this year to attack middle of the field. It's who you're playing against. And you always have to dictate your 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 scheme and your game plan week to week based on opponent. I look at that Niners opponent and I just say to myself, they are probably the best team in the league at taking away you know that 15 to 20 yard intermediate range in between the hashes. Mm-hmm. And on the outside, you know, you got Traverius Ward. I mean, their corners are just okay. If if you had to circle a weak point on the defense, it would be their corner. If you had to, but still, Ward is he's among, a, you know, one of one of the better cornerbacks in the league. It's just he's he's outshined by, as you said, the safety plays by Hafunga, and and then obviously up front with with uh, with Bosa leading the way. It's just you. You, it's it's kind of like saying, you know, Alex Highsmith, you know, is he even worth mentioning because you can mention ahead of him Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick, right? Like people are people around the league are not giving Alex Highsmith the respect that he deserves after having 14 and a half sacks last year, which is, you know, only two less than 16 and a half, which is what Miles Garrett finished with. A lot of people who were predicting him to finish as a potential D play, D, defensive player of the year, Alex Highsmith had two sacks less than that guy last year. So if you're on San Francisco's defense, it's not that you're bad, it's just there are so many great players that maybe you kind of lose some of the, the spotlight just because there are so many great players to, to shine that light on. But certainly if you had to pick a weakness, I guess you could say, kind of like the Steelers situation with the middle linebackers, you could say the cornerbacks in San Francisco are their weakest link. And it's important to note that on the injury report for San Francisco, 
Talanoa Hafunga, their great safety, did not practice on mm. Thursday due to a personal issue, but he also was limited on Wednesday due to a knee issue. So we'll keep tracking Hafunga, but I don't, I don't read any tea leaves out there that suggest that he won't play for the Niners in that game. No, I ex- yeah, he should be out there. The other interesting one, though, Traverius Ward started this week as a full participant, and now he did not practice yesterday because of a heel injury. So I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean the we'll Niners. See what the practice report says later today on Friday when it comes out, but. Either way, clearly Traverius Ward was healthier at the beginning of the week than he is now towards the end and of the week. And something's acted up, that's yeah. That's an advantage for the Steelers. Of course. You got you have to pay attention to that injury report, but once again, I mean, going back to Mike Tomlin and his preparation, they're not preparing for—they're not going to assume that, oh, all these guys are on the injury report, so we're just expecting yeah, them right, not to play. because then when they don't show up, it's easier for you. And then right. when they do show up, you've already prepared for it. And you kind of have to look at it, you know, from both sides, right? Like Larry Ogunjobi is on the Steelers injury report again this week. But is that just going to be something that we see every single week from him, right? Like we did almost like we did last year where Larry O just pops up out of nowhere. You don't expect him to be unhealthy. And then he just appears there, but then he still lines up on Sundays. It just might be, you know, you have to. One of those things where didn't the, the, the Packers get in trouble for not not saying that Aaron Rodgers was dealing with some injury and they had this huge fine to pay. Like I think maybe they're just doing their due diligence, avoiding that kind of technicality. Yeah, you you get. I think the Patriots got in trouble for that. The Patriots, too. I you, think, yeah, you get in a lot it. of trouble if you right. don't, uh, or if you aren't upfront with your injury reports. So I think that's why you see a lot of people like, you know, tongue in cheek. Tomlin might have done this. Everybody's on the injury report. This right, week. right, 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 everybody right, right. out there. Exactly. Just Pete Carroll, I think, is another person that has done that. Just like, oh, you're gonna find me. Everybody's hurt, okay? So you can't do anything to me. It's it's the same way as saying no one's hurt. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hurt. So good luck trying to figure out just how severe the injuries Mm -hmm. are. Uh, Offensively against the Niners, or excuse me, defensively against the Niners, offense, how you stop that. I think the biggest key, and you said Pat Pete was on your show today, the DV Morning Show. Right. I'm sure he mentioned this at some point. Tackle the catch. Right. Hug up on the safety valves. Hug up on the checkdowns. I heard him on another podcast saying the very same thing. This team has led the league not the past year, not the past two years, not the past three years, not the past four years. The past five years in yards after the catch, the 49ers have led the NFL. That is where they butter the bread. And it does... They get the ball to Debo Samuel 10 mm-hmm. yards out of the backfield, and then he takes it 40 more yards down the field. That's the way they want to play. And like you can't think of better players than Debo and Christian McCaffrey to make people miss in the open field. So hug up on those checkdowns. McCaffrey leaks out five yards. Make sure you're right up on his butt. So when he does catch the ball, boop, you drop him. You give him a three- to four-yard window, he's making someone miss almost every single time. And tackle the catch. If mm-hmm. you miss tackles in this game, they are going to make you play. You. Right. And it shouldn't be a surprise that that statistic is true because you know five years ago was the beginning of the Kyle Shanahan era right. he's, he, he he bases his offense around that likelihood that his players can make a break and escape a tackle and get that yak or, 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 or for a running back you know what I mean like avoiding first contact or or surviving first contact and and getting that extra yardage after first contact he that's what he bases his offense around and like we said in in our show earlier this week, he's seen, he's taken two successful teams to the Super Bowl. One, he got there. One, he came one game away from. But two kind of different teams, but still having the same offensive mindset. You're allowed to 
you're allowed to make contact, but as long as you break that contact, the rest of the offense knows how to protect and create holes for that offensive player to run through. So 100%, uh, it's a key, key, key to bring down those guys. And you know what? Like The thing is, is he brought in arguably one of the best players to help that offensive scheme in Christian McCaffrey. Right, they, they, that's they what were, Tomlin even said. They were they were running out there with what Jeff Wilson Jr. Up, the past couple of years. They have not lost a regular season game since McCaffrey's been there for a full mm-hmm. week, ready right. to play for the Niners. And as Tomlinson is presser, they're up like ten points per game ever since McCaffrey came into the fold. Right, it, they were running he's, out like Raheem Mostert and player, I think, for sure Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr., who ironically are now both on Miami. But that's that's who they had. You know, these are guys who were what top twenty running backs yeah. in the league, and they were they were they looked like they were top ten just because of the scheme that Shanahan drawed up. Now they have one or two as far as that position. I think it's number one because, because of, of his versatility. He use, yeah, he's throwing passes, he's returning right. punts, and it's only that the way he fits into Shanahan's offense too. Right, you don't usually see running back. I mean, we know especially after this offseason with Jonathan Taylor and so many other guys playing on a franchise tag or not even playing for that matter, how invaluable some people consider the running back position to be. I think you're spot on. Even though Nick Bosa did win Defensive Player of the Year last year, I think McCaffrey is their most valuable player. Yeah, offensively, no question right. about it. And I think that's another huge key is just making sure you stop McCaffrey and making sure that he doesn't destroy you in this game in all the different facets that he can. You know, with Kittle being healthy now, and he was limited on Thursday with a groin injury, but he's trending in the right direction. And he's practicing. He's going to play, mm-hmm. yeah. So with Kittle back, you know, people were like, oh, that's another wrinkle that you have to worry about, and you do. But I was already kind of so overwhelmed with how you stopped this Niners offense right. that when, adding when Kittle, Tim asked me on mm-hmm. Countdown, like, what do you think about adding Kittle now? I'm like, I don't know if it really even makes you worry even more because I was already so worried. I'll tell you where it does worry me the most, though. Not in the passing game. Kittle is an amazing blocking mm-hmm. tight end, and those tackles, Trent Williams won't. But the other tackle is definitely going to need some help on T.J. Watt. Right. And if it was a backup tight end, we might see what happened with Hassan Reddick in the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game. But if it's George Kittle, he can hold his own a little bit more against somebody like T.J. Watt. So while you have to worry about him in that passing game for sure, and maybe you know Minka comes up and takes him out of the equation every once in a while, maybe that's Cole Holcomb's job, maybe that's mm-hmm. Quan's job. I really worry about him limiting the pass rush from Watt, Hayward, that side of the ball, because he really is maybe the best blocking tight end in football. Right, and and how you pointed out earlier this week, the Niners the Niners might have the best offensive lineman in the league, but it doesn't and make everybody their, else is just meh. it doesn't make their offensive line the best offensive line in the league. But it does help them where they only George, have to single team Alex Highsmith. Right, all the other attention can go to the other players. And but then also too, when you add George Kittle into the into the mix, you kind of have to consider him as. As the Steelers probably do with Darnell Washington as an extra lineman, you have to put him into that position group. So it's not going to be just a, an easy day for TJ and Cam and Larry O or Keanu Benton, who's who's up front with, with Alex Highsmith. It's not going to be just as easy as that because I'm sure the Niners will be saying, okay, well, if Highsmith is going to be going up against Trent, well, then let's make sure George is protecting TJ. And it, it, it kind of not not to say that TJ can't survive a day going up against George Kittle, but it, oh, like he, you said, he, he limits Kittle, yeah. limits. It's, it limits TJ. It, it helps uh, avoid TJ from completely taking over the game if you're the Niners. And I think getting pressure on Brock Purdy is just uh, maybe the one of the bigger keys too, because this dude and I would be 
okay with the Steelers, you know, employing some blitzes every now and again against Purdy. Not that I don't think they can get home with three or four guys rushing. I think they can. But I think the numbers show that Brock Purdy, every quarterback's worse against pressure, but I think Brock Purdy gets dramatically worse when that pressure gets ratcheted up in his face. And Mm -hmm. for a guy that only threw, what was it, one interception, two interceptions last year since he came in, did did not turn the ball over at all for the Niners. You're going to have to get in his face. You're going to have to make him mm-hmm. feel that pressure if you're going to want to turn him over. So I don't know, Tom, though. Like, you know, we talked about George Kittle being on the injury list and now being able to practice, and, and uh, uh, Nick Bosa, who was holding in, kind of holding out, kind of, but still being ready to go in week one. For me, though, for Brock Purdy, I just think it's a different kind of mindset like when he was injured for so long like how many snaps did he even get in the preseason oh i don't did he play he played he definitely played like a series or two i don't think he got more i mean like you you can't expect with the injury risk right further damaging i can't imagine he played more snaps than kenny did no i mean kenny played a ton of snaps compared to a lot of starters yeah a lot of starters But that's what I'm saying. So, like, I don't know Brock Purdy. I mean, to get back to it, how we were talking earlier, just being a Mr. Irrelevant seventh-round draft pick, I don't know if this guy can handle having off the entire offseason, only coming in at some point in the training camp, only getting a handful of snaps uh, in the preseason, and then coming in week one for his first NFL game, regular season game, and then being say, saying to himself, oh, well, I didn't turn the ball over last year. Well, let me just go up against Cam Hayward and TJ Watt and Mick Fitzpatrick and not turn the ball over again. I don't see that happening. Now, one last thing I want you to keep your eye on in this game is the special teams. I think there's going to be a big special teams play in this game. Maybe it's Calvin Austin returning a punt mm. into the red zone. Would Maybe it's that. Calvin Austin taking one all the way to the house. But I say that because the Steelers have upset a Super Bowl favorite the past two opening games of the season. The Bills and, special and the teams. Bengals, and they were on the road. Miles Killebrew blocked punt against the right? Bills. And then, of course, the center, or the long snapper getting hurt from Cincinnati leading to Mika Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. blocking the uh, extra point um, for the Bengals that gave the Steelers a chance to go to overtime and then for the Steelers to win that football game. So, And both of those plays were the difference makers. They were. Right, Killebrew, I think you, I think it was Ulysses Gilbert who picked up the touchdown. And well, ran it in, yeah. And ran so, it in. That, that was a difference. That was a, a game-changing play. And then, obviously, Minka's was a game-saving play. 100%. So... I think that, you know, week one, you know, special teams, that's a bunch of guys that are rookies, second-year players. You know, those are college stars that aren't stars in the NFL. They hadn't played special teams since high school, and now they got to play special teams mm-hmm. again. You can get a lot of cracks in the armor whenever you're going up against the team's special teams week one, week two. Right, week one, gel. exactly. So I think, you know, and this can go both. This cuts both ways, too, so it could happen for the Niners as well. But I, I expect the Steelers to make a big splash in the special teams game. And also important to note, the Niners picked the kicker with the third round pick this mm. year, Jake Moody out of Michigan. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to play. He's mm. hurt right now. So they have some issues with the kicking game as well in San Francisco. They do. And in quick aside, which team rolled out their first, their initial 53 man roster without a kicker? Was it New England? Um, I Was know it the Indianapolis. I know no, the Indiana- Eagles did it without a punter. 
I, know I think another team. I thought. I thought one team did it without a kicker. A few did it. I know. I know the Patriots did it without a backup quarterback. Right. They, they just had Mac Jones as their only quarterback. And like a and like more. No more than like what three receivers yeah, either. So there is some. I'm sure you're right that there was a weird thing there. I, I just know for a fact the Eagles left the punter off because uh, they were trying to operate. But getting back to it, I mean, we've seen it in Pittsburgh. You know, Matthew Wright having to come in for Boswell. What was it last year or two years ago? Well, Matthew Wright. Speaking of that, might be the guy that mm-hmm. kicks for right, the Niners. Exactly, but. You know, we saw him in Pittsburgh, and he wasn't Mr. Reliable. He, he cannot make 45-plus. He's Right, he was sketchy. not reliable. Remember, the kick, he can't kick off either. It, doesn't, right. it does not get to the end zone, which may lead to Anthony Calvin, McFarland oh, right. or McFarland Calvin on the kick having returns. a big, mm-hmm. big return in the kickoff game. You can't count out special you teams. You don't see big kickoffs returns much anymore because the ball's almost always going to the back of the end zone. So when you can't get it there or you're not hanging it up there like Justin Tucker and letting your coverage get down there, you can be in some trouble right. on the kicker return game still. So Especially with guys, you know, as talented on Pittsburgh at returning. Right? We've seen the speed of Anthony McFarland. We've obviously seen the speed of Calvin Austin. So if Matthew Wright's out there kicking short kickoffs, I mean, it's not out of this world to think there could be, not to say it's going to go to the house, but maybe like a 40-yard kick return at some point in the game. Well, we'll make our official prediction for Steelers Niners in our last episode that we do today during Fireside Friday. We get a bonus Fireside mm. Friday coming up next. It's not only a bonus, it's our first one since what? Since February, maybe. January? Yeah. We so, might, maybe one snuck in there in the office. Maybe, but we point. just had to get one in. We had to get two in for the official one, though, start. Because yeah. this next episode, it is the official season-long prognostication from Jacob and myself. We're going to pick each division. We're going to pick the playoffs, each round of the playoffs. We're going to give you our Super Bowl champs this year as well and also make our official prediction for the Steelers record in Mm -hmm. 2023. That's on the way next on the Steelers Standard.